Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of Course in Miracles original edition, published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net. And there, if you mouse over the link at top, you'll see the link to read under online edition. You'll see the link to read ACIMOE. Also at that website, there's a tab called Lesson Sign Up where you can sign up to receive a daily email, including both the text reading that we share in the morning as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This calls Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of the Manual for Teachers. Reading today uh, in question number five, How is Healing Accomplished? We'll be reading all three sections that are included there. Paragraphs one through ten. Uh, we're also mindful of our lesson today. I let forgiveness rest upon all things for this is forgive, forgiveness given me. And we're so happy to have Fran with us again today uh, to lead our lesson reflection at the top of the hour. Um, in the meantime, I'd like to share an opening that I think um, I think portrays the spirit of today's lesson really well. It's a poem from Mary Oliver called Sunrise. Sunrise. You can die for it, an idea or the world. People have done so brilliantly, letting their small bodies be bound to the stake, creating an unforgettable fury of light. But this morning, climbing the familiar hills in the familiar fabric of dawn, I thought of China and India and Europe, and I thought how the sun blazes for everyone just so joyfully as it rises under the lashes of my own eyes. And I thought, I am so many. What is my name? What is the name of the deep breath I would take over and over for all of us? Call it whatever you want. It is happiness. It is another one of the ways to enter fire. I let forgiveness rest upon all things, for thus is forgiveness given me. Amen. Oh, thank you for that. Loved it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Laurie. That was beautiful. You kind of feel it, huh? Thank you, Laurie. Blessing of forgiveness. Yeah. I am so many. Um, Alrighty. Here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Fran, Jessica, Karen, and Judy. We're joined in listening this morning by Harrison. And is there anyone who's joined us who would like to be on the reading list or say good morning? Good morning. It's Robin Marie, and I'll read. Thank you. Oh, most excellent. Thanks, Robin Marie. Alrighty. Boy, I'm ready for this this morning. How is healing accomplished? Question five. 
healing, healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is impossible without this. What is the illusion of sickness for? Elthamoyne, take it away. Manual for Teachers, Section 5. How is healing accomplished? Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is impossible without this. The perceived purpose of sickness. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness and the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. Sickness is a method conceived in madness for placing God's Son on his Father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all power for himself. Only by his death can he be conquered by his Son. Thank you, Lemoyne. And friend. The perceived purpose of sickness. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. Sickness is a method conceived in madness for placing God's son on his father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all power for himself. Only by his death can he be conquered by his son. Three. And what in this insane conviction does healing stand for? It symbolizes the defeat of God's Son and the triumph of his Father over him. It represents the ultimate defiance in a direct form which the Son of God is forced to recognize. It stands for all that he would hide from himself to protect his life. If he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses death in himself, his weakness is his strength. Now has he given himself what God would give to him and thus entirely usurp the throne of his creator. Thank you, Fran. And Jessica. Uh, paragraph 3, and then just right on into the shift, please. Okay. Um, 3. And what 
in this insane conviction does healing stand for? It symbolizes, <clears throat> it symbolizes the defeat of God's son and the triumph of his father over him. It represents the ultimate defiance, I mean, yeah, the ultimate defiance in a direct form which the Son of God is forced to recognize. It stands for all that he would hide from himself to protect his life. If he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses death himself, his weakness is his strength. Now has he given himself what God would give to him and thus entirely usurped the throne of his creator. The shift in perception. Four, healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, there is no gain to me at all in this. And he is healed. But to say this, one must first recognize certain facts. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. If sickness is but a faulty, a faulty problem-solving approach, it is a decision. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world as we perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. Terms like, quote, instincts, quote, reflexes, and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators. Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. Thank you, Jessica. I'm Karen. Manual for teachers. How is healing accomplished? The shift in perception. Paragraph 4. Healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, quote, there is no gain to me at all in this, unquote, and he is healed. But to say this one, to, but to say this, one must first recognize certain facts. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. If sickness is but a faulty problem-solving approach, it is a decision. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world as we perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. Terms like quote-unquote instincts 
quote-unquote reflexes and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators. Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. Five, the acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. A patient decides that this is so and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The outcome is what he decides that it is. Special agents seem to be ministering to him, yet they but give form to his own choice. He chooses them to bring tangible form to his desires. And it is this they do and nothing else. They are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up without their aid and say, quote, I have no use for this, unquote. There is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. Thank you, Karen uh, and Judy. happy to read this. Thank you, Lori. The acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for a purpose which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. A patient decides that this is so and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The outcome is what he decides that it is. Special agents seem to be ministering to him, yet they but give form to his own choice. He chooses them to bring tangible form to his desires. And it is this they do, and nothing else. They are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up and say, I have no use for this. There is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. What is the single requisite for this shift in perception? It is simply this, the recognition that sickness is of the mind and has nothing to do with the body. What does this recognition, quote, cost, unquote? It costs the whole world we see, for the world will never again appear to rule the mind. For with this recognition, is responsibility placed where it belongs, not with the world, but on him who looks on the world and sees it as it is not. He looks on what he chooses to see, 
No more and no less. No more and no less. The world does nothing to him. He only thought it did. Nor does he do anything to the world because he was mistaken about what it was. Herein is the release from guilt and sickness both, for they are one. Yet to accept this release, the insignificance of the body must be an acceptable idea. Amen. Thank you, Judy. And Robin Marie. Six. What is the single single requisite for this shift in perception? It is simply this the recognition that sickness is of the mind and has nothing to do with the body. What does this recognition quote unquote cost? It costs the whole world we see, for the world will never again appear to rule the mind. For with this recognition is responsibility placed where it belongs, not with the world, but on him who looks on the world and sees it as it is not. He looks on what he chooses to see, no more and no less. The world does nothing to him. He only thought it did. Nor does he do anything to the world because he was mistaken about what it was. Aaron, herein is the release from guilt and sickness both, for they are one. Yet to accept this release, the insignificance of the body must be an acceptable idea. Seven. With this idea is pain forever gone. But with this idea goes also all confusion about creation. Does not this follow of necessity? Place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect, and the learning will generalize and transform the world. The transfer, transfer, excuse me, the transfer value of one true idea has no end nor limit. The final outcome of this lesson is the remembrance of God. What do guilt and sickness, pain, disaster, and all suffering mean now? Having no purpose, they are gone. And with them also go all the effects they seem to cause. Cause and effect, but replicate creation. Seen in their proper perspective, without distortion and without fear, they reestablish heaven. Thank you, Robin Marie. And let's see, has anyone joined us that would like to read paragraph 7 there and uh, roll right into the function of the teacher of God, paragraph 8? We're in manual for teachers. Oh, Miss Sandra, yes. 
I can. Thank you. Okay. Um, what paragraph is that again? Be paragraph seven, and then roll right into eight, please. Okay. With this idea is pain forever gone, but with this idea goes also all confusion about creation. Does not this follow of necessity? Place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect, and the learning will generalize and transform the world. The transfer value of one idea, of one true idea, has no end, no limit. The final outcome of this lesson is the remembrance of God. What do guilt and sickness, pain, disaster, and all suffering mean now? Having no purpose, they are gone, and with them also go all the effects they seem to cause. Cause and effect become cause and effect, but replicate creation. Seen in their proper perspective, without distortion and without fear, they reestablished heaven, the function of the teacher of God. If the patient must change his mind in order to be healed, what does the teacher of God do? Can he change the patient's mind for him? Certainly not. For those already willing to change their mind, he has no function except to rejoice with them, for they have become teachers of God with him. He has, however, a more specific function for those who do not understand what healing is. These patients do not realize they have chosen sickness. On the contrary, they believe that sickness has chosen them. Nor are they open-minded on this point. The body tells them what to do, and they obey. They have no idea how insane this concept is. If they even suspected it, they would be healed. Yet they suspect nothing. To them, the separation is quite real. Thank you, Sandra. Um, And would there be another narrator for eight and nine? Hi, this is Sarah. Let me just find my place here. Marvelous. So that's rereading the the last one read and then the next one, correct? That is correct, Sarah. Thanks. Okay. The function of the teacher of God. These glasses aren't strong enough. If the patient must change his mind in order to be healed, what does the teacher of God do? Can he change the patient's mind for him? Certainly not. For those already willing to change their minds, he has no function except to rejoice with them, for they've become teachers of God with him. He has, however, a more specific function for those who do not understand what healing is. These patients do not realize They have chosen sickness. On the contrary, they believe that sickness has chosen them. Nor are they really, nor are they open-minded on this point. The body tells them what to do, and they obey. They have no idea how insane this concept is. If they even suspected it, they would be healed, 
yet they suspect nothing. To them, the separation is quite real. To them, God's teachers come to represent another choice, which they had forgotten. The simple presence of a teacher of God is a reminder. His thoughts ask for the right to question what the patient has accepted as true. As God's messengers, his teachers are the symbols of salvation. They ask the patient for forgiveness for God's Son in his own name. They stand for the alternative. With God's word in their minds, they come in benediction, not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. It is not their hands that heal. It is not their voice that speaks the word of God. They merely give what has been given them. Very gently, they call to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you. Would you choose sickness in place of this? Thank you, Sarah. Um, would there be another new reader for 9 and 10? Nine and ten. We're in section five um, of the manual for teachers. How is healing accomplished? Paragraph nine and ten. Hi, Lori. Um, if oh, I can find it without going to. Okay. Um, here we go. Hi, Mindy. Go ahead. Hopefully, it's in big print. Thank you. Paragraph nine and ten. Okay. Thanks for waiting. It is coming booting up. No, it's not. Sorry, I'm going to have to pass, but if we do a second reading, I'd love to join in on the second reading. Thanks. Okay. And I'll have to work this out ahead of time from now on to make sure I got reading glasses and know how to do it. Thank you. Okay, sweetie. Thank you. Lemoyne, um, are you on mute? No, I was waiting for a new prompt. That's all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's one way we can generate silence. All right. Um, number nine. To them, to them who've chosen sickness, God's teachers come to represent another choice which they had forgotten. The simple presence of a teacher of God is a reminder. His thoughts ask for the right to question what the patient has accepted is true. As God's messengers, his teachers are the symbols of salvation. They ask the patient for forgiveness for God's Son in his own name. They stand for the alternative. With God's word in their minds, they come in benediction, 
not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. It is not their hands that heal. It is not their voice that speaks the word of God. They merely give what has been given them. Very gently they call to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you? Would you choose sickness in place of this? Not once do the advanced teachers of God consider the forms of sickness in which their brother believes. To do this is to forget that all of them have the same purpose and therefore are not really different. They seek for God's voice in this brother who would so deceive himself as to believe God's son can suffer. And they remind him that he has not made himself and must remain as God created him. They recognize illusions can have no effect. The truth in their mind reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers so that illusions are not reinforced. They are thus brought to truth and truth is not brought to them. So they are dispelled not by the will of another, but by the union of the one will with itself. And this is the function of God's teachers, to see no will as separate from their own, nor theirs as separate from God's. Thank you, Lemoyne. Uh, Ephraim. Ten. Not once do the advanced teachers of God consider the forms of sickness in which their brothers believe. To do this is to forget that all of them have the same purpose and therefore are not really different. They seek for God's voice in this brother who would so deceive himself as to believe God's son can suffer. And they remind him that he has not made himself and must remain as God created him. They recognize illusions can have no effect. The truth in their minds reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers so that illusions are not reinforced. They are thus brought to truth, and truth is not brought to them. So are they dispelled, not by the will of another, but by the union of the one will with itself. And this is the function of God's teachers, to see no will as separate from their own nor theirs as separate from God's. Thank you, Fran. And thank you, everyone who read um, this beautiful section. It takes a long a while, I think, for it to sink in. But as with everything that's shared with the one mind, the more we share it together, the more we can hear it. And so, uh, I'd like to suggest we have nine minutes to read ten paragraphs once again, straight through. Um, does that sound like a great offer? I think so. Sounds good. Yes, it does. I do too. I do too. So, <clears throat> we would do it over again. 
Um, Sarah, you, it, it, let's see, we have one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight uh, readers. Is there anyone who would like to read a second time through that isn't among those eight? Yes, this is Perhaps you can find it. Perfect. Mindy and Harrison will make it nine and ten. I see you getting ready, Harrison. Okay. Okay. I just need to read that the beginning part where they're still big print. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll have you lead it off then, Mindy. How's that? And let's see. There are ten paragraphs. Yeah, see, paragraph one is really tiny. But if it's in large print for you, Mindy, you lead us off, okay? With section title and paragraph one. And then Harrison would be two. And Question for you. Three. Mine ends at yes. the Manual for Teachers introduction. Oh, you don't have section five, how is healing accomplished? No. So I will have my book ready tomorrow. <laughs> right, I have to pass. Okay, sweet. Thank you. All right. All righty. So will it. If Harrison, how about you do one and two? Is that okay? And Sarah could do three. Sandra could do four. Robin Marie, five. Judy, six. Karen, seven. Jessica, eight. Fran, nine. Ten. Perfect. Um, go ahead and start us off, Harrison. How is healing accomplished? Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is formed. Healing is impossible without this. The perceived purpose of sickness Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater value. For sickness is an election, a decision. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness and the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this, when this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. Sickness is a method conceived in madness for placing God's Son on its Father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all power for himself, 
only by his capital H death can he be conquered by the son. Thank you. <clears throat> and what in this insane conviction does healing stand for? It symbolizes the defeat of God's son and the triumph of his father over him. It represents the ultimate defiance in a direct form which the Son of God is forced to recognize. It stands for all that he would hide from himself to protect his, quote, life. If he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses death himself, his weakness is his strength. Now he has given himself what God would give to him, and thus entirely usurped the throne of his creator. The Shift in Perception Healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, there is no gain to me at all in this, and he is healed. But to say this, one must first recognize certain facts. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. If sickness is but a faulty problem-solving approach, it is a decision. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world as we perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. Terms like instincts, reflexes, and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. The acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. A patient decides that this is so, and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The outcome is what he decides that it is. Special agents seem to be ministering to him, yet they but give form to his own choice. He chooses them to bring tangible form to his desires, but it is this they do and nothing else. They are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up without their aid and say, I have no use for this. There is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. What is the symptom? Single requisite for this shift 
in perception. It is simply this, the recognition that sickness is of the mind and has nothing to do with the body. What does this recognition cost? It costs the whole world we see, for the world will never again appear to rule the mind. With this recognition is responsibility placed where it belongs, not with the world, but on him who looks on the world sees it as it is not. He looks on what he chooses to see, no more and no less. The world does nothing to him. He only thought it did. Nor does he do anything to the world because he was mistaken about what it was. Herein is the release from guilt and sickness both, for they are one, yet to accept this release, the insignificance of the body must be an acceptable idea. With this idea is pain forever gone, but with this idea goes also all confusion about creation. Does, that, does not this follow of necessity? Place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect and the learning will generalize and transform the world. The transfer value of one true idea has no end nor limit. The final outcome of this lesson is the remembrance of God. What do guilt and sickness, pain, disaster, and all suffering mean now? Having no purpose, they are gone. And with them also go all the effects they seem to cause. Cause and effect, but replicate creation. Seen in their proper perspective, without distortion, and without fear, they reestablish heaven. My turn. Yes, it is. Okay. The function of the teacher of God. If the teacher must change his mind in order to be healed, what does the teacher of God do? Can he change the patient's mind for him? Certainly not. For those already willing to change their mind, he has no function except to rejoice with them, for they have become teachers of God with him. He has, however, a more specific function for those who do not understand what healing is. These patients do not realize they have chosen sickness. On the contrary, they believe that sickness has chosen them. Nor are they open-minded on this point. The body tells them what to do and they obey. They have no idea how insane this concept is. If they even suspected it, they would be healed. Yet they suspect nothing. To them, the separation is quite real. To them, God's teachers come to represent another choice which they had forgotten. 
The simple presence of a teacher of God is a reminder. His thoughts ask for the right to question what the patient has accepted is true. As God's messengers, his teachers are the symbols of salvation. They ask the patient for forgiveness for God's Son in his own name. They stand for the alternative. With God's word in their minds, they come in benediction, not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. It is not their hands that heal. It is not their voice that speaks the word of God. They merely give what has been given them. Very gently they call to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you. Would you choose sickness in place of this? Not once do the advanced teachers of God consider the forms of sickness in which their brother believes. To do this is to forget that all of them have the same purpose and therefore they are not really different. They seek for God's voice in this brother who would so deceive himself as to believe God's son can suffer. And they remind him that he has not made himself and must remain as God created him. They recognize illusions can have no effect. The truth in their minds reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers so that illusions are not reinforced. They are thus brought to truth and truth is not brought to them. So are they dispelled, not by the will of another, but by the union of the one will with itself. And this is the function of God's teachers, to see no will as separate from their own, nor theirs as separate from God's. Thank you, everyone. Uh, for reading that again so beautifully. And let's turn our attention to Fran now uh, to consider uh, what is a miracle. And I let forgiveness rest upon all things. Take, Fran, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Hi. We are in, still in the second part of the workbook, and the theme that we're on is What is a Miracle? Today's lesson is Lesson 342. I let forgiveness rest upon all things, for thus forgiveness will be given me. So I shall read some from What is a Miracle, and then we'll go over to our lesson and do our five-minute meditation. What is a miracle? A miracle is a correction. It does not create nor really change at all. It merely looks on devastation and reminds the mind that what it sees is false. It undoes error but does not attempt to go beyond perception nor exceed the function of forgiveness. Thus it stays within time's limits. Yet it paves the way for the return of timelessness and love's awakening, for fear must slip away 
under the gentle remedy it gives. A miracle contains the gift of grace, for it is given and received as one. And thus it illustrates the law of truth the world does not obey because it fails entirely to understand its ways. A miracle inverts perception, which was upside down before, and thus it ends the strange distortions that were manifest. Now is perception open to the truth. Now is forgiveness seen as justified. Now I will go over to the lesson. Lesson 342. I let forgiveness rest upon all things, for thus forgiveness will be given me. I thank you, Father, for your plan to save me from the hell I made. It is not real. And you have given me the means to prove its unreality to me. The key is in my hand. And I have reached the door beyond which lies the end of dreams. I stand before the gate of heaven, wondering if I should enter in and be at home. Let me not wait again today. Let me forgive all things and let creation be as you would have it be and as it is. Let me remember that I am your son and opening the door at last, forget illusions in the blazing light of truth as memory of you returns to me. Brother, forgive me now. I come to you to take you home with me. And as we go, the world goes with us on the way to God. Lesson 342. I let forgiveness rest upon all things. For thus forgiveness will be given me. Five minutes.
Lesson 342. I let forgiveness rest upon all things. For thus forgiveness will be given me. Amen. Amen, and thank you, Fran. And given that I know you have to leave soon, um, let me invite you to be the first uh, to share anything that comes to mind for you here. Well, this has been a perfect lesson for me. This is um, a di- different, difficult time in my life right now. And I let forgiveness rest upon all things. Is um, perfect, perfect lesson. Perfect timing. Uh, that's it. I'm complete. Thank you, Laurie. That's a powerful testimony, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, Fran. We missed you. We were with you in spirit. So good to hear you again. Oh, thank you. I missed you guys. Thank you, Fran. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, Harrison. No, no, go ahead, Harrison, please. No, I was just thanking Fran. I know, I just wanted you to be complete, Fran, thanking her. (laughs) Okay, I'm complete. I just wanted to thank you, Fran, for doing it a little slower. My awakening brain could take it all in. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Good morning, it's Karen. Um, Like every lesson in the course, they just seem to get brighter and fuller and more meaningful as time goes by. And let forgiveness rest upon all things. I had this funny experience about a week and a half ago where I remembered something my older sister did to me. And I wanted to call my younger sister and tell her of this horrible thing my older sister did to me when we were about 20 years old. When I was 20, she was 22. And then I just laughed at how ridiculous that was because it would be empowering the past. It would be like resurrecting something false and giving it life force. And it just struck me how in that moment, initially, I felt justified, I felt it was real. You know, it was my ego saying, oh, this thing really bad happened and she did this to me. And how ridiculous it was, because, of course, in the past, the only place that has any life is in memory, which is choice, which is decision, just like being sick is a decision. So just staying with forgiveness first. Um, Then I had this thought today. I had this thought that uh, in 2015 or 16, I I was I remember where I was and I just was like delusional. My mind was so distorted. I was feeling so angry at my older sister. And I know that I was 
that I was living in some false illusion state. We were at a retreat. And I didn't want to share a room with her. And every time I saw her, I felt full of anger. And I don't even know why I was, why I was attacking her. But it, it again, it wasn't. I wasn't using substances at the time. I mean, there was. I was at a spiritual retreat, but I was in the ego, in a in a living dream, reality of falsehood. And then I thought in meditation just now. I was thinking of, you know, a person in the political forum who seems delusional to me. And I was thinking of my family dramas in the present moment. And I was thinking of, you know, someone who I've recently attacked because they talk too much. And yesterday, all day, I was feeling plagued by this feeling like I overshare and I'm such a bad person and I'm so guilty. I was feeling that about myself. And all of it is such ego illusion. You know, this person, when I, in 2015 and 16, was living in this falsehood and this distortion, I couldn't see it at the time, but I can see it now. And it was like being possessed by a hallucination. And I feel like all these people who are acting out in the world are equally as possessed by the belief in some falsehood. And their innocent, beautiful, divine beings are still the only part of it that's real, the only part of it that's true. And I could so easily dismiss my my delusional mind. I must extend that to all my brothers and sisters and hold them as the truth. And, you know, the the idea that I was feeling so guilty yesterday. It was hard for me to forgive myself because I've been stuck in a place of, of lack of forgiveness for others. And, and this lesson says if you dismiss that false reality for everyone else, you can accept your innocence. You can accept forgiveness. You can be free. I can be free. It's it's so powerful. And, um, you know, I I don't want to share again until everyone else has had their turn, but I just want to say, you know, when it comes to sickness, that's a really, really hard thing to, um, to own, that I'm responsible for my own sickness because I've been sick for 10 days. It's not bad. I mean, it's not like something catastrophic, but it's definitely like the body is giving me a hard time and challenging me to be my best. But um, I trust, you know, in a year of being on this call, how much my mind has changed, how much more healed my mind is, how much more established in truth my mind is, that, you know, maybe next year I won't get sick anymore and I'll really be able to absorb the reality that it's a decision. I am complete and thank you for letting me share I hope that was lucid. I'm not sure if it was. Thank you. Very much so, Karen. Very yeah, much so. thank you, Karen. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a thank beautiful you, Karen. Karen. Very inspired. Thank you. Oh, and as for that last thing you said, 
uh, I hope next year I won't be as sick as much. Um, I can recall uh, passing through a phase of like bodily manifestations. Um, and when I started um, uh, regarding those as clearances, their significance in my mind uh, dropped dramatically. Um, part of healing, I think, is healing my mind is the release of, um, is just simply the release of the significance of bodily awareness. And that is often manifested in a physical way as it um, disappears from my mind. So it's, um, it's not a bad thing in that respect. So thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. I'm so grateful for the overall healing. I was, you know, even a year ago, more delusional in the ego mind, and I'm so grateful. Complete. This is Jessica, and um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know exactly how to talk about this. I guess it's. It's, I guess it's really important for me to talk about. I, I, um, you know, it says in this reading that God's messengers stand for the alternative. With God's word in their mind, they come in benediction, not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. Uh, hold on, that wasn't the part I wanted to read. They merely give what has been given them very gently. They call their brothers to turn away from death. Behold you, son of God, what life can offer you. Would you choose sickness in place of this? And I, I think that um, there's a uh, little, con- not little, a big conflict going on in my mind that manifests in my body about death and life. And, you know, I I kind of thought I was past some of this because years ago, I, okay, like a lot of you know that when I was 17, I had a powerful revelation of, well, at the time I said I saw God. And, and when I started reading the Course, I realized that it was everything that Jesus tells us the truth is. I saw the truth. I was in the truth. I was in the oneness. I was in the beautiful piece of ecstatic love and total connection with everyone. And after that, okay, so then at that time I was 17, so I didn't really, um, you know, it was a very uh, powerful thing that I shared with my brother who was a spiritual, he was on his own spiritual path. Um, And then I did, uh, then I went on, I continued my spiritual path, but I wasn't really distracted by thinking too much about it because I was in college and it was lots of fun and everything like that. Um, and then at a certain point when I thought life was, was kind of causing me some discomfort, you know, just like, oh, why, you know, why isn't this person uh, doing what they're supposed to do? <laughs> All that stuff. I just thought, well, why, why am I bothering being here? 
you know, when I know the truth is so much more wonderful than this nonsense, than paying the mortgage and and having to get uh, food every day and cook and stuff like that. What a pain. And, um, you know, there was plenty of joy in my life, but I just still thought, like, I don't even know why I need to be in this place. Um, and I think that even though I um, don't feel quite the same way about it, there's still some of that going on. And, and the Course talks about uh, the obstacles to, what is it called? The obstacles to, <laughs> see, now I'm blocking on the full sentence of that. Well, there are several obstacles, and one of them is the attraction of death, I believe. And that's what this uh, paragraph is referring to, I think. Um, Very gently they call to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you. And when I read that, I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm not really convinced that life is better than death. I mean, a lot of people go around thinking that you know, death is uh, terrible or they're scared of it. And because of my experience, I'm not scared of death. And I've also read many, many, many near-death and and watched many videos of near-death experiences. So that to me is not not nearly as as daunting as, you know, a variety of things that I have to deal with in the physical world. And so I do have some... Sickness. And I know that it's not real. Um, I know that I've chosen it. I believe that I've chosen it. I mean, there are times the ego probably tells me otherwise, but in general, and even this broken foot I have, of course, I believe I've chosen that, of course. Um, and, you know, it's fun to explore why and what that's all about. But I also have a life-threatening illness, and I have shown myself that I uh, I can I do have control over some of the some of it, um, which is kind of cool because I've done that thing. Um, that the phrase that I used was "I have no need of this," but there's a, a different one here in this section that, well, two different ones that are also really great. Uh, but <clears throat> but I'm just aware that I do have no need of this. Well, I think I'm not entirely sure that I have no need of it. I have less need of it than I thought before because there's a whole list of reasons, you know, that that it's lovely and wonderful to be sick in one way or another, you know. Um, you usually get people taking care of you more, and that's always nice. <laughs> But there's a whole lot of other stuff. Um, Anyway, I just, uh, and then, but the main thing I wanted to highlight here is behold what life can offer you. And I just don't really get what life can offer me that I can't, that is better than um, the alternative. You know, a lot of people say, like, when when you say, oh, I had this problem and now I have this, you know, they did this treatment on me and I have side effects or whatever. And people say, well, it's better than the alternative, which is dying. And to me, dying is not the worst alternative. Um, 
So, and I know, I'm sorry, this is a long share, but I know that part of the purpose, or, or maybe the only purpose of life, is to help my brothers and sisters um, heal themselves and join in the truth of oneness and of God and and um, accept the atonement for ourselves and all of that. And so that's why I'm here, to be a teacher of God. So I, I do know there, there is a lot that life has to offer, but I, I definitely uh, go back and forth. And yeah, so thanks for listening to that. I'm complete. I loved hearing every single bit of that, Jessica. And um, and as for um, behold, what life has to offer, I think that question is um, asking me what is life? What is life? And uh, is it of the body, or is life of my eternal mind? And um, it's a very subtle but uh, all-powerful recognition. Birth is not the beginning. Death is not the end. Um, so thank you very much for sharing your experiences, both from your youth and and uh, your potent realization of truth and how that's been manifesting in your life. Thank you very much. I'm complete. Thank you, Jessica. And, and you know, in that same vein, uh, I just have to share that um, in 2004, no, 2005, when my mother died, uh, I'm going to say transitioned, when my mother, uh, my mother's eternal soul transitioned from her body, I was devastated. I experienced that as devastating. Uh, but in 2014, when my dad died or transitioned, I spent a week in glory helping him find freedom from his body. And all I can say about those two different experiences, one is devastating and one as the most profound gratitude I've ever experienced in my life, and joy and unity. Uh, the difference between those two experiences for me is um, the difference in understanding that what I called death was a conceptual idea that represented an ending. And when that conceptual idea of an ending uh, was gone, um, I had two different experiences. And so what I learned from that was that um, there's a subtlety to realizing that what I called death as an ending was purely conceptual. I mean purely conceptual as an idea. And without that idea of ending, those two transitions uh, were entirely different experiences for me. And um, 
one was glory and one was grief and between those two the only difference was my definition of death as an artificial ending of the body without that without that idea I have an entirely different appreciation of the fact that eternity is now um, and it's a, it's a glorious thing to be able to share that truly from my heart but it's even more glorious um, to be in the presence of another eternal being having an, a different experience and reminding them with my thoughts that uh, you and I are eternal and this is forever and we might meet temporary challenges on the way to our total release but together we do that in this moment which is eternal and um, and that's uh, the gift I think of the inclusiveness of atonement and um, recognition that all other false ideas uh, can fall away uh, I'm complete thank you Lori thank you Lori very important point the difference what is the same cannot be different and um, that this is a dream a dream of death a dream of being in bodies limited to and by bodies that the body can tell us how we think what to think or how to feel that we're victims of the body that we're victims of the world you know it's the lesson really really brought brought that home for me um, you know in in the lesson I let forgiveness rest upon all things always um, remembering that I have to understand totally in order to understand totality that I the I the capital I Christ I Christ eyes forgive Judy doesn't forgive and she forgets she forgives everything equally because not she does Christ the Christ consciousness in Judy does I identify with Christ consciousness as my true self and so I see things truly as they are without any need for forgiveness allowing everything to be just as it is because it in its totality is God's will is God's life is God is love understand totally to understand totality that's Christ consciousness and the um, insignificance of the body is um, really been important to me um, you know because I've given so much significance to healing my body's pain that it it trumps my my Christ consciousness because I'm so focused on the pain when I should be attending to Christ consciousness on the altar of my mind because it is that which heals my mind that believes that I 
I, I am a body. There's no in-between. There's no other. There's only one self, and it's all included, and nothing is excluded from that. So when I, I am perceives Judy, and Judy perceives that I am as her, that one single voice and that one single vision doesn't see herself as the body. She understands the truth of who she is. And the body does become insignificant to her. Her pain becomes insignificant to her. Because Judy becomes insignificant to her. <laughs> what Judy thinks it becomes insignificant. She recognizes it. All its propaganda for the world. And this, oh, I love the, 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 um, the reading about the miracle, what is the miracle? It's a correction, and it's a temporary fix for a temporary problem because all problems are temporary. And to recognize that what I am in truth is changeless, always already present, capital presence, peace, happiness, joy. And my ego egoic thinking, my selfish, self-centered thinking can, can trump it, can impose itself upon it and cloud it and veil it in its misery and its suffering. But it's all the ego misery making. And the difference between misery and joy has to be recognized by my own mind that I am doing this to myself. So... Um, Understanding the purpose of sickness, and Jessica touched upon it beautifully. You know, I, I recognized it. When I, when I couldn't do stuff for myself and everybody started being kind to me and helpful to me, I recognized the light in people's eyes that I hadn't noticed before. I'm sure it was there before, but in my self-seeking, I was enabled to see it. But it wasn't about me. It was about the God in both of us because the God in me enabled me to see it with vision. I, I couldn't see that light unless the light was in me. That one light, the one same, what is the same is not different. And what is different is, is the ego. It sees everything as different from its, from its mini-me self. But the Holy Spirit needs me. I had this this, <laughs> I did this 10-step ten, ten inventory. What, what, what's, what's in Jew that's selfish, self-seeking, self-centered, and dishonest? And this, you know, I woke up. I, I was lucid dreaming. I was awake, aware that I was aware of Judy in the bed. I was having an out-of-body experience. And in my awareness, Judy was, tossing and turning in her physical pain and grasping outside of herself for pillows and um, to, to reposition herself in order to escape her pain. And, and then the, the, the real and the dream mind of Judy was playing back scenes from her past life where she had hurt her sister because I've been having conversations with my sister about 
old grievances she has about me because I've been open to remembering, letting her remember them for me because my memory is selective and I've forgotten them. But I know in my conscience, my God consciousness, that I haven't forgotten them because she's mirroring them to me. And that I don't hate anybody but myself for my own sins. So I'm grateful for my sister bringing this stuff to me now and saying, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. And I, I had this, you know, you are such a hypocrite. You're so dishonest <laughs> that I hate, I hate others for my sins, my hypocrisy, and saying money doesn't matter. You know, all these things that I say doesn't matter, um, that um, a multitude of ways that I've been dishonest with myself. I don't need to go into the list, but the, um, the joy in waking up this morning was the clarity in seeing how the ego mind separates my mind from God, believes that I'm a Judy in a body, would make an image make an image, an idol to herself, and then judge herself for not being perfect when she's left the perfection that she already is. She, Judy doesn't have to do anything to become better, change herself, or, or become, become better than the way she thought she used to be bad. It's not about any of that. It's not about changing Judy in the dream. Judy in the dream. Yes. I thought somebody was saying something. That's my realization this morning. And when I let forgiveness rest on all things, myself included, the world is healed, everything is healed along with me. Amen. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Judy. That was a very fulsome share. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Good morning. This is Sandra. And I let forgiveness rest upon all things, for thus forgiveness will be given me. And for me, forgiveness is the gateway to freedom, to the freedom to create. Because I am the created, but I'm also a creator. And if in fact I created this body, which I'm told I did. Um, and, and how did I create this body? Because I'm, my mind holds only what I think with God. So the body was a thought in my mind. I thought I might like to experience being in form. And there's nothing wrong with that except that I forgot when I decided to come into form that I was still connected to my creator. I thought I was on my own then. And, um, and I believed it. And then I got scared 
And then I tried to control everything through my judgments. And I started to create. Why? Because I'm still made in the image and likeness of my creator, and I am still the created, but I'm also a creator. So that when I started to create, I started to miscreate (laughs) because it was from a faulty thought system of separation rather than union. So I'm a person who who has been considered and I've identified with being alternative. (laughs) I've had uh, life-threatening illnesses and I've healed it alternatively using energy, using herbs, uh, and homeopathic, and mostly changing my mind, (laughs) using my mind to heal my body, which is, in fact, because of the way that I made this body, I made it healable. I, 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 I made it so that it could heal itself without... It might need some support in the form of herbs or, uh, you know, I use alternative medicine frequently, but I also use Western medicine if, if I need it. If I needed surgery, I, I do it. But this whole thing about forgiveness, it gives me the freedom to create, truly create, to create my true reality not a false reality. And as soon as I take this, uh, I would call it the illusion, (laughs) I know Harrison is so proud of me when I use the word illusion because it's been hard for me not to identify with the body as being part of the illusion. And I don't think the body is part of the illusion except for the way my mind sees the body. The, the mind sees the body as it's, that, it's, that, it's, that it's, uh, it's, it's everything. It's identified with the body rather than with the creator who allowed me, who gave me the privilege of creating this body, which in my mind, because my, my body is a thought in my mind, can heal itself. <laughs> so... Um, hence, I have healed from some life-threatening illnesses, and I am using, um, Jessica, I'm using that, that, that there is no gain to me at all in, this, in any further diagnosis whatsoever, that I am complete and healed and whole, um, and, and I can create. I can create a true reality based in love and the extension of, of forgiveness and God's love and patience and tolerance and kindness, let it begin with me. I start with myself. <laughs> I forgive myself. I'm patient with myself. I'm kind to myself. And then I extend it to others to the best of my ability. And um, not only do I know my sense of... I mean, I feel forgiven I don't understand sometimes why, um, well, I do understand it. It's their own guilt (laughs) that they project on me. But anyway, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that this is the gateway to freedom, to the freedom to truly create my own reality because I can. And if something doesn't work out or doesn't look the way I 
think it's supposed to look, as long as I don't take it personally, I can say, okay, well, God's got a plan here. It's probably, and it always is, better than my plan. So I'll just trust, maybe even have some excitement about what is God's plan going to be? What's this next adventure going to look like? And I continually recreate myself. I'm complete. Oh, boy, Sandra. I sure loved hearing all that. Especially the part of amazement, you know, ready to be amazed. I love it. Thank you. Sorry, Harrison. Thank you, Sandra. You're absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. I just want to say simply and quickly the the difference between seeing from the eye image my Judy's Judy's old way of looking from her eyes and the and the difference between vision and seeing from the eye image concept self concept is the difference is the difference that vision sees totality and all the world is within me. There's nothing outside of me. And there's no I in there. That that the I image sees itself in the situation, in the world. And that's all the difference. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. You know, there's a quote uh, in in the manual for teachers, we're going to come to it pretty soon, um, where it says, um, it is your function to escape from limitations, but not to be without them. It is your function to escape from limitations, but not to be without them. And I think um, when I consider my experience of my mind and body and my life, in the context of this section on healing, um, that's a beautiful place uh, to recognize. It's your function to escape from limitations, but not to be without them. And when I remember that, um, I can take a whole different uh, aspect, or a whole different attitude, a whole different mind uh, in consideration of my experience, the phrase um, "not to take it personally" is a beautiful phrase uh, when you consider that my ideas and God's ideas sometimes diverge, and I grow, I grow in the same extent that I'll let my ideas realign with God's. And that process uh, could be um, that process could be overlaid on top of what I think my life is. I've I've read a lot of near death experiences. Reverend Reed is very fond of those, and she'll send me some from time to time. And one that I really appreciated was um, a fellow who described his experience of being a soul before he was a body. 
And he described a process whereby he decided with God that he would like to be a soul uh, in body in order that his soul experience would be enhanced by meeting, um, I don't want to use the word conflict, challenge, by meeting challenge. His soul would be (coughs) enhanced to the same degree he met challenge. And when I consider that experience in light of it's your function uh, to escape from limitations, not to be without them, I get the sense that um, having chosen experiences of the body is not a bad thing. It's a process whereby my mind, my experience of my unity of heart and mind as a soul God are enhanced when I uh, meet challenges. And through that process of releasing ideas about these challenges, I grow as a soul, I grow as a Christ, I grow in my ability to have compassion and meet my brothers on a level playing field to share that same experience with them. I start to loosen the idea that there's some great mistake here that I've made or that life has made me victim of and come to realize more fully that there is no mistake here. And it's just like he says at the very end of what is the body, he puts this, this beautiful statement right at the end of what is the body. And that statement is identify with love and you are saved. Identify with love and you are home. Identify with love and find yourself. In meeting challenges, in meeting bodily challenges of my own or of people I love uh, or people who love me, in meeting those challenges, um, love is made more manifest. And love is of the heart-mind. So maybe um, a reinterpretation of healing uh, is what is called for here. Healing is always of the mind, and the body follows. Um, Lessons 135 to 140 um, help me make this uh, clear to my own mind. You know, healing is of the mind. And um, and it's challenges that propel me into that awareness. And uh, I think that's part of the design. So um, just some thoughts there. And, uh, and, and you know what? Um, there are people who haven't shared. And golly, Roger, there's, you know, we're getting close to the top. Um, So for anyone who hasn't shared, please take some time, all the time you need. And I have a beautiful, beautiful poem from Helen uh, that puts a real splendid cap on all all this. So uh, please take time, anyone who hasn't had a chance to share. Oh, 
says no one can heal unless he understands what purpose sickness seems to serve. So right away, Jesus is saying, don't focus on the sickness itself. Don't focus on the cancer um, the, the mental illness, uh, don't focus on that. Uh, there's a purpose behind those diagnoses. says, but then he understands as well his purpose has no meaning. That's the key. And there is no purpose for sickness. There's no good reason for it. 
And we fast forward to the man wolves, discussions of sickness. In paragraph five, he says, the acceptance of sickness as a decision of a mind, of a mind, for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And this is one of the Talk about the obstacles to peace. <laughs> the idea of sickness for me is a huge obstacle to the realization of the truth of who I am. I get stuck in the diagnosis. I have a list of them. And I have all of the medications that are designed to address those diagnoses, diagnosis. But the medications and the physical therapy only alleviate the symptoms. They don't address the underlying cause. That's because there is no cause. It's just my belief. It's just a thought. It's a decision of my mind for purpose for which I would use the Bible. When I realize that it's my mind that needs to be healed. And this is so for healing in all forms. When I accept that sickness is a decision of the mind, when I decide that this is so, then am I healed. realize that sickness is a faulty problem-solving approach. It's a decision. That's a hard sell. I can feel the resistance to that idea. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. Is he telling me here that sickness has nothing to do with the body? 
and it's all in my mind. The resistance to recognizing this, he says, is enormous. No shit. Excuse my friend. Because the existence of the world as we perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. And what the Course is now telling me is that, no, the body is a victim of the mind and its thinking. And if I change my mind about what the purpose of sickness is, and realize that I'm using it to maintain my separation from God and from my brothers and sisters. I'm using it, sickness, to make the body real. And the body symbolic of the idea of separation. And if I realize that the body is part and parcel of this grand illusion that I have created, and everything associated with the body I now see as part of that grand illusion, sickness, death, attack, all of that. And there is one remedy for it all, and that's forgiveness. I forgive the world for all my body was. I forgive myself for believing in the reality of the world. I'm complete. Boy, I love the way you ended that, Harrison. Forgive myself Amen. for having accorded it reality. Thank you so much. Yes, amen. Well yes. said. Thank you. I forgive myself and I forgive the world. Any final shares from anyone? Yeah, this is Sandra. I just just wanted to... to, um, I'll acknowledge Harrison again. That was just amazing. But also your share before that, talking about, you know, the limitations that um, we have to overcome, but that, but that there will still be limitations. And that's, that's the, the, the gateway. Those limitations are the gateway to creativity because, because the body is limited, but the mind is unlimited um, because it's eternal and immortal and, 
and, and limitless. And so we can get creative. I can get creative, um, which hence brings, back, brings me back to being alternative because I do like getting creative with things. I'm complete. Yeah. Thank you, Sandra. Um, <clears throat> Gloria, there was a line in the reading that really jumped out at me that I just was thinking about as I was walking. It says that we're standing at the door and on the other side is heaven. Yeah. Can you say anything about that? I'm complete. Uh, I can actually uh, say something about that. Yeah, the side of the door, oh my God, can I talk about that? But anyway, um, I let forgiveness rest on all things. Mm-hmm. He says it takes a while to recognize the inclusiveness of the atonement. The inclusiveness of the atonement. That means, that means um, absolutely everything. Absolutely everything needs to um, fall under the loving gaze of my forgiveness. My body, my mind, my mistaken ideas about everything, everything, everything. And life, the process of life, is that process by which I meet another and another and another and another situation, event, person, place, or thing that falls underneath the gaze of forgiveness. Heaven, he says, is a state of mind. You know, it's a state of mind that recognizes unity. The Son of God, you know, how many teachers are there uh, to save the world? Just one. Just one, but we are one. We together, the sonship, are one. And together, we watch the dream figures come and go and come and go. But remember, all the while, unity alone is not a thing of dreams. Unity alone is not a thing of dreams. And when I am in that place where I recognize everything belongs to me, it's mine. It's all mine. Everything. All of creation is mine. And it belongs to me. And my father trusted me with it because he knows I love it. When I'm in that place, that's heaven. That is heaven. And it's a state of mind um, that's possible. He says in section 26, can God be reached directly? And I think it's important to recognize this. Jessica, you described your experience at 17. Judy, you've described your experience. I've had a similar experience. But as regard those experiences, he says, in God, can God be reached directly? Uh, he says, that state can is so complete and so overwhelming with love. He says, the body cannot long exist in that presence. And I've had that experience. It's, it takes the breath away. And I knew instantly, I can't sustain this. I'm choking with the love. I mean, it's, it's more than the body can tolerate. But that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to gather those kind of experiences. I'm here to, as much as I can, let my defenses down. The, the, 
defenses of the body, defenses of interpretations, defenses of perceptions, as much as I possibly can let my defenses go through forgiveness in order that I might share those experiences in whatever situation I'm in. That's heaven. He says the way to keep this awareness, chapter 31, he talks about this awareness of unity. In order to keep this awareness, one must share it. And not in words, not in in anything except thought. And in the presence of that thought, everything is known, and that which is known knows it's known in unity. That's the nature of the one mind that we share. That's heaven. Heaven is a state of mind. God's not somewhere else. And we who are hosts to God, when we recognize and share that awareness through presence, it's presence that does it. You know, the lesson... 58, Review Lesson 58, describes it beautifully. My holiness envelops everything I see. My holiness blesses, not me alone, but blesses everything I see. My holiness is my salvation. There's nothing my holiness cannot do. When I recognize that this power, which is within us but not of us, this love does everything that's heaven in order to share that um, I need recognize that every moment and it shares itself you know you know that you know that love shares itself it's not a by virtue of its definition private emotion it's not private there's nothing private about love one cannot experience without the presence of a benefactor a, 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 someone to whom to give it okay I can't have the experience by myself and uh, that's heaven and all of that all of that this key this forgiveness is simply the release of what I thought before that's all it is it's just the release of what I thought before I was mistaken it's all just the release of what I thought before. I read a, um, I don't want to go on about this, but uh, this is really significant. Um, there are a few places in the Course of Miracles and more in the Course of Love where Jesus asks that we forgive him. And I read that yesterday and I read a number of the shares uh, that were posted uh, in consequence to that seemed to be a lot of disagreement but the nature of forgiveness is not something I give someone else the nature of forgiveness is something I give to my own mind it's the letting go of anything that makes me feel separate from anyone else what you thought your brother did did not occur very simply uh, what I thought about anything was wrong <laughs> that's forgiveness and uh, and when complete the veil is lifted and um, 
And it's just like he says at the end of chapter 15, together we'll disappear into the presence beyond the veil, not to be lost, but found, not to be seen, but known. And to know is to know with certainty that you are myself, that without you I'm incomplete. And everything I need is myself. Heaven is a gift you owe each other. It's the debt of gratitude to the Son of God for being what he is. And when that veil is lifted, I recognize I'm the one who put it there. I'm the one who put it there with my mistaken thoughts. And when it's gone, that's heaven. I can see then. I can see. I can see. I can see myself. And uh, and that's heaven. You know, it's the recognition that everything belongs. Everything belongs. And it belongs to me. It's mine, and I love it. That's happened. I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. That's really great. Um, this is Ida. Um, I was fortunate to be able to hear the near the beginning part of the call, and I had to go away for a while, but I'm back. And I wanted to say what you just said about forgiveness it's so real and true, and I was just talking with my friend in Canada, Clint John, yesterday uh, over the phone, and um, he was saying, and I talked about forgiveness, and he was saying, you forgive other, you forgive yourself through other people. And, you know, to me, that's the same thing as what you were saying, and I really like that. Thank you. I'm complete. Yeah, that that is precisely what today's lesson is. <laughs> let forgiveness rest on all things, and, and thus forgiveness rests on me. You said it so beautifully. Yeah, thank you. And Ida. Just because. Um, thank you. You're very welcome, everybody. I'm very welcome. And, We're all um, very welcome. This is Jessica, and I yes. had one very one very last comment about the conversation and uh, that is uh, <laughs> there's a sentence in paragraph 5 where he says special agents seem to be ministering to him yet they but give form to his own choice and what I wanted to point out here is that as far as choosing the special agents you know where, whether what type of medicine what type of care giver um, I feel like the course is very clear in pointing us to asking for guidance from Jesus or the Holy Spirit you know and I tend to do that with I try to remember to do that with everything you know anything that I think is a, of healing quality you know like should I do exercise should I take this um, uh, what do you call it uh, uh, product uh, uh, supplement you know like for my bones should I take it and and the same goes for like chemotherapy um, should I go to this doctor and um, it's a very very important to me at least helpful way of uh, going through the healing process thank you I'm so glad you brought that Jessica 
Thank I remember you. the time you said, I bless it. I bless it. And uh, that stayed with me. Thank you. I, um, I'd love to get back to the text, if I may, for um, the purpose of studying the text is why I came. I, um, um, you know, the, the um, idea um, of being concerned only with truth, where it speaks of this in um, the truth in our minds reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers. So their illusions are not reinforced. You know, to, to speak of and identify with body identification in the dream is, is reinforcing the dream. Um, as far as my, my my limited understanding goes, and um, to stand in the truth, the truth of who I am, that I am spirit, purely mind, in a state of grace forever, that that is man, humankind's reality, capital reality, and that I'm, in studying this course, want to know the truth, that I'm concerned only with the truth. I'm concerned in the same way that I'm concerned with understanding totality as my reality that I am not limited to because it's only through that under capital understanding that I can become a miracle worker, that I can be a physician to my own mind, you know, blessing medicines in the world. You know, I'm not going to go on with that thought. But um, it doesn't seem like the proper application for the truth. And um, that it, healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valueness of it is realized. You know, settling for compromising with magical um, solutions what does the course call them? Substitute, substitutes, making adjustments in the dream to make myself more comfortable is what I consider. You know, I, I don't have anything against taking a few Tylenol. Believe me, I do it. But the goal is God in recognizing my oneness. And um, the whole um, I, idea that I must recognize the responsibility for my thoughts and all these things that we talk about are thoughts in your minds. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening sometimes and thinking, you know, what am I listening to here? What, what is it I'm hearing here? Um, is this what we should be thinking about? Is this what we should be talking about? Are we strengthening ideas, false ideas, or are we strengthening the truth, the idea that only truth is true, that life is true, immortality is true, that perfect health is true, and perfect health is of the mind, and to seek outside of the mind for it is to be mentally ill, is to have a sick mind, a split mind, but the recognition that there's only one mind, I've, I've read something today and I'd like to share it with you because it's perfect for what we've read today. The very first thing to understand is that when something is perceived, it is perceived in consciousness. 
Now, I, I add Christ consciousness to that because it's helpful to people who study the Course. It's the very first thing to understand is that when something is perceived, it is perceived in consciousness, by consciousness. It's Christ consciousness perceived by Christ consciousness. Nothing is perceived without a perceiver. The perceived has all its reality, its existence, its potentiality in the perceiver. Christ consciousness is the perceiver that perceives everything. The perceived has no sep separate existence. What is perceived? We talk about this day in and day out. The body is perceived. It's an instrument of perception. Everything the body perceives is perceived by consciousness. In consciousness, by consciousness itself, it's God perceiving God. And the, the, the creation theme that we read over, read and read over and over again, talks about the universe of thoughts. Thoughts in consciousness. Now, you know, we're coming to the end of the book again. We're going to go over this stuff again. And are we going to be healed? Am I going to heal myself? I can't heal you. I can't heal anybody. All I can do is heal my own mind. And my mind is set on the truth, to stand in the truth. So the perceived, anything perceived, Judy is a perception of herself. Judy is something that's perceived. I have no separate existence from Christ consciousness. This is clear. There are not two. There is only one. So there's yeah. no separation in this, this Judiness, in any, any perception of herself. But what Judy needs to recognize, if she wants to heal her mind, is that it's not separate from that one consciousness. There is one consciousness, one mind, one spirit, in a state of grace forever, eternally yeah. immortal, changeless, and free of sickness, of being a body. You know, Lori, you repeat that quote so many times about limits. <laughs> and it pisses me off, i got to tell you frankly. <laughs> I know the book says it, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just... I have a right to argue with the book at certain at certain levels of my spiritual progress too, so I'm just yeah, that's, where that. that's where Jude's at, and um, to transcend to transcend the world, the battleground, to end the dream, and to wake up in life, perfect, perfect, complete wholeness, perfect love, perfect happiness, perfect joy. That's my goal. I'm not here to to go around again, let's try this bodysuit on again because I've forgotten who I am. When, when the Course clearly tells me what the truth is of who and what and where I am as God created me, who and what and where I am is everything. Eternally, always, 
here and now, whatever, whatever is showing up. It's all God. It's all consciousness. It's all holy thoughts in the one consciousness of God, no matter what. So, all righty then. There, there, go, there, there she goes again. Thank you. I'm complete. Thanks, Judy. And, you know, there's, there's a thought that might help reconcile this. And given that he tells us it's your function to escape from limitations, not to be without them, what if I take that thought and put it together with divine abstraction takes joy in application? When I put those two thoughts together, I recognize that my father is asking me to be a miracle and to call to all my brothers to share my joy, consummate joy. You know, no one, no one escapes limitations alone. No one achieves heaven alone. Uh, heaven, by definition, is a state of perfect unity. And uh, so... Um, when the I put joy those and two ideas together, I get the idea that uh, there's a purpose for all of it, a function for all of it. And because I made the promise earlier, I just want to close this recording with this poem, okay? And then we'll continue talking about this. But it's a poem from Helen that encapsulates all these ideas in just a few phrases. And I think it's really perfect. It's called healing. And she's rights to heal it is not needful to allow the thought of bodies to engulf your darkness and illusions healing is escape from all such thought you hold instead only a single thought which teaches you your brother is united with your mind the bodily intrusions on his peace cannot arise to jeopardize the son whom god created sinless as himself Think never of the body. Healing is the thought of unity. Forget all things that seem to separate. Your brother's pain has but one remedy, the same as yours. You must be whole because he joins with you. You are healed because you join with him. Unity alone is not a thing of dreams. And so, um, as we broaden our minds... Well, let's continue to reach out to each other and share this one together. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have to touch the one mind together and it's all of our understanding. I'm going to end the recording. Um,